What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pinnacle Performance Podcast. My name is Connor Harris. I have Cody Hughes here today. I'm super excited. He is a high school strength and conditioning coach. We've had a lot of great interactions on social media, and I'm super excited that he's here today because we share a really cool background with high school strength and conditioning, and I think he has a lot of really good things to say. So thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, man, it's an honor. I'm really excited about our conversation. Absolutely. So let's just hop right in. So um, something that is obviously on the mind of everyone these days, especially like, you know, March of 2020 is this coronavirus thing. Schools are canceled. You know, all of the professional sports organizations are closed down and we have no idea how long this is going to last. So uh, I'm curious, like, what is your experience with this? Like, how are we going to go about this? Because I don't know. Um, Like, how are you going to have your high school athletes still stay in shape? Uh, what's your strategy and what do you think other coaches are going to be able to do to like manage this situation? Cause like this really does suck and people's like lives and livelihoods are being affected by this. So what are your thoughts on that and how are you going to go about it? Yeah, we've really been in touch um, and, and really been trying to prepare for this for two weeks now. So we've been in meetings, we've been talking, um, our high school is going to go to an e-learning distance learning model that I think a lot of people go into. We're an Apple distinguished school. So every kid in our whole school has a Mac every single one. Um, they have an iPad. We can push things as far as core classes go. But as far as athletics go, man, that's a tough deal. You know, me and my head coach, we have a new head coach who just came in last year, and we've made a huge culture change. Like, we're starting to teach kids how to train finally. They're starting to get, like, the glimpse of the tip of the iceberg, and we've made so much improvement as far as training capacity, you know, like – having the, the gas tank to be able to train hard without something bad happening. Like we're finally being able to get some experience under the bar, learning how to train. We're, we're getting enough reps to where now we can train harder, safer, right? Cause that's the big thing in high school is that I, we can't train hard if we can't train safe, you know, like, yeah. and that takes time to instill. But what we're going to do is if right now we're kind of in limbo, you know, Alabama's that last state, you know, we just actually got word today that they actually found the case in Montgomery, but, um, so it's kind of, we're kind of the last state it's getting to, but if we're going to end up canceling school for a short amount of time, say two weeks, what we've decided to do is with, with the social media world we live in, I decided we're going to meet the kids where they're at. We're going to create a hashtag. We're going to post home workouts and we're going to make it cool. That's Hell all yeah. I mean, man. It's just straight damage control, man. Like, yeah. all right, go find a gym, go find a hill, time yourself you know, velocity, bay blop. No, no, no. Like they're not going to do it. No, I won't do it. So can we do push-ups? Yes. Can we do glute bridges? Yes. Can we air squat? Yes. Can we do lunges? Yes. Can we, we can do all kinds of things. I'm going to embarrass myself on social media. So they'll feel free to, <laughs> and we're just going to grind and we're going to, we're going to post it out there and try to create a movement just so we do something. Yeah. So when come back in two weeks I still know that my programming is going to have to step back a little bit I know I'm going to have to drop the volume a little bit I know we're going to have to make some adjustments to make sure that we head into summer in the right frame so we can get caught back up my head coach is unbelievable he he understands he knows that you know with my philosophy and health being the number one thing that you know trying to squeeze out a number on a bar is just not worth it if a kid's going to get hurt so you know we're really trying to hold on to our culture man I'm not really worried about the, the performance side with high school kids, the performance side comes once you get the culture first. Yeah. Opinion. I love what you said about that, that culture thing. Cause I remember when I was in North Carolina, like I was really the first real strength conditioning coach they had over there. Um, you had to really like start that from the ground up. And before that, it was just like a bunch of machines in this small room, but now they like have a couple of squat racks. It was, it was pretty cool. But the culture thing is so real because like for me, I could have given them everything, but their buy-in wasn't there. Cause it was like this weird dude that they've never seen before coming in and like, you know, with exercises, exercises they've never seen before. And ultimately it was a culture thing. And one of the biggest struggles I had was getting the head coaches to like buy into what I was doing. And unfortunately it was a byproduct of a couple of things circumstantially, but also like just as young coaches ourselves, it's kind of hard for us to go to like an older coach. And especially if they were doing strength conditioning with their athletes before being like, Hey, this is uh, how I see things going. What are your thoughts on this? But it really is a patience game. So I'm curious, like, how did you develop such a strong relationship 
with the head coach that you have now? And like, how'd you get him to buy into what you were doing? And how do you manage that with other coaches that potentially you have a little bit harder time doing that with? You know, I think this is a big mistake that a lot of coaches in the strength world do. Cause like at the end of the day, we're support staff, man. Like mm -hmm. we, we don't win games, you know, head coaches call plays, athlete make plays. They win games, right? We just help prepare the engine to give them the best chance. So I really, I really just tried to see how, what was the best way I needed to go about it, you know? And I honestly made a mistake. Like I didn't come in here in the right frame of mind. I was like, I've got plenty of letters behind my name. I have the education, I have the experience. I've been at the Division One level. You ought to listen to me. What the high school level doesn't work that way. They don't care about who you are. Yeah. They don't care about where you've been. They don't really know you. They don't really trust you. No matter how respected I am in my field, they don't, don't care. They don't see that. Mm -hmm. You know, just like we have an unbelievable weight room outfitted by Sorenex, and I'm like, guys, we have the best weight room. And they're like, man, it's just weights. You know what I mean? Like, it's They just don't know, yeah. They have no idea. So, one, you got to win them over. And the way to win them over is – just being consistent and being able to take the good with the bad and just keep, keep plugging away and developing relationships with the kids. And then on the other side, so you got to attack it from multiple angles, right? You're attacking the kid, developing the relationship, holding standards, but also understanding their kids are going to make mistakes. You got to love them through those things. So you hold the standard, love them through it from this angle over here. It's got to be the administration. I'm very lucky here that I've got administration that 100% is committed and believes to physical fitness, um, strength and conditioning, human performance is what we call it here, mm -hmm. is, is performing at a high level, both mentally, spiritually, physically, everything in between for us to be able to be the best that we can be. So our president, our, uh, our AD, our principal here, they, they were all former coaches. So I'm very blessed. They're all former coaches. They get it. And they hold everybody to the fire. I'll also got to have support from the sport coaches as well. Like, so, for example, here at Madison Academy, we really only have four coaches on campus that work here full-time, football, boys and girls basketball, and baseball. All of our other coaches are off campus that do other things. Here in Huntsville, it's a big engineering town with our arsenal. Um, the Army's arsenal is here in town. So we have a ton of engineering parents, a ton of engineering people that live in this town. So a lot of our off-campus coaches that coach some of our smaller Olympic sports they have other full-time jobs, so they're not here very often. So it's really hard to develop a relationship with them. So I don't have as much accountability from them, but I understand. And that's something we're working towards today because it's not perfect, right? We're trying to get that three-way uh, attack from me, the administrator, and the sport coach. And if we get that fourth angle, which is the parent, now we're cooking with grease. You know what I mean? Like, if you can get the parent bought in on what we're doing – and, and trying to preach the same message. You know, in education, we talk about vertical alignment. Um, everybody being aligned in an organization, believing in the same thing, communicating the same thing, using the same language. Um, that's when it gets powerful. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to build is that vertical alignment with administration, teachers, coaches, parents, and students, athletes. Mm -hmm. So if we, can, if we can do that, that's the only way we're going to compete here, man, because we're a 3A side school. I'm going to tell you this. This is where I feel like we've been – pretty fortunate in what we're up against. So in Alabama, for private schools, one, you have a multiplier, right? So you have to compete um, higher than your classification. So for example, if we report 100 kids, you know, just for the sake of numbers, we have 100 kids that we report, right? We have to play 1.3 times that. So we have to report 130 that, that we have 130 students, and that's the classification we would be put in. Yeah. So we're already playing higher than what we actually have and what we get to pick from. Mm -hmm. But even then, they have a new rule they just came out two years ago called the competitive balance rule that's separated by sport. If you get to a certain level of the postseason on a, on a point system every two years, you can bump up even more. We're a 3A size school. Our girls' basketball team's been in the state championship three years in a row. We're playing 6A basketball next year from the 3A size school. So guess what? That's we better, badass. We better find an edge. Mm -hmm. right? We played 5A football last year. We went in the first round of the playoffs. Their team dressed 85 guys. You know what I mean? We dressed 29. <laughs> yeah. Better have that they edge. Guys, yeah, they got guys that don't play both ways. Mm -hmm. Every one of our dudes are playing both ways. 
Man. We gotta find our edge. We gotta find our edge. So yeah. we're we're doing everything we can to make sure our performance side and we're communicating and our nutrition and our sleep and using everything we can to, to compete. Because if we win, we're just gonna keep climbing. Yeah. And we gotta do the best we can. So um it just starts there, man. It just starts with a conversation. It starts yeah. with a relationship. It starts talking to those coaches. I had to learn early as a coach, like I caught myself trying to have conversations to hear myself talk and make myself sound smart instead of actually getting something done. Yeah. Like I'm, that's a very insecure move on my part as a young coach, man, I'm not going to act like I know everything. Like, but as I do feel like I know something, I want to defend my knowledge and I wanted to earn the right to be able to run my system. Well, when you have a head coach who's been coaching for 30 years and has won a state championship and is coming into your program, like, man, you might want to listen to what he's got to say just because he doesn't know how to talk about undulating periodization. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter. Like, yep. that stuff doesn't matter. So yep. I've been really learning in the past year to, to drop all the lingo, speak everyone's language, be a chameleon, and you can still get things done. You know what I mean? So it just starts the yeah. conversation, starts dropping the email. Yeah, man. And I think uh, the underlying theme of everything you said was just like, none of this is going to stick if you do have that ego. But really, if you're a likable person, like a likable individual, like if you're someone people want to be around and you can come off in a way that is humble, yet you can kind of like show that you're knowledgeable, I think that is a huge key. And I think it's hard sometimes because like strength conditioning coaches have like a we have like the stereotype of being like dumb meatheads that just, you know, kind of want to like pick things up and put them back down. But really like something I've seen is that like, there's a lot of really smart people who do what we do, like smarter than like a lot of other professions that you would think have like smart people in them. And it's just like, we have good things to say, but at the same time, like when I was in North Carolina, I wanted to come in and make it happen. I wanted to come in and I want to be like, all right, we're going to get whipped up in shape six months. Let's go. And, and the guy who hired me is like, Connor, it's going to take a year. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm going to get this done. So like, no, it, it's going to take a year. And he was exactly right. It took a year and it really did take that much time for the kids to get comfortable around me fully for them to buy into what I was doing and for them to understand, like, just cause they had literally no experience. Like these kids were as low level, frankly, as they came. And it took them that long to get everything into place where I felt comfortable going into year two. So I think that's exactly right, man. And like that first year is so essential for building that culture for that exact reason that you said. So um, one thing you said that I think I think is something that we struggle with as high school strength and conditioning coaches is like the parents thing, right? Cause you'll have parents who are really, no matter what level you're at, they're always really into like their son or daughter's success. They think that they, they think that they know what their son or daughter might need or might not need. But as coaches, like certified coaches, we have to balance like giving them what they want versus what they need and making the parents happy with that. So have you ever had a problem parent situation or just a situation where uh, the parent was perhaps putting too much of their own influence onto your program and did it take away from it or how did you manage that? Because I know that's something we all have to deal with at some point. Oh yeah. I, mean, I can give you two examples um, that I've had that um, both good and bad, you know, like, cause the parents are a lifeblood of our program, man. And, and it all starts, like I said, with that vertical alignment, you know, with our, if I gotta have my administrators back. I gotta have my sport coaches back and I've got to be able to document, document, document everything we do. We got to stay safe. Cause I mean, we're at a private school, man. They, they pay those parents write my check. If you really yeah. want to be honest, like, that's how my nine-month-old eats every every day. So I got to meet them halfway. So, for example, like we warm up every day in our weight room. We have turf and we have uh, rubber flooring, which is nice. We warm up. I started last year uh, warming up without shoes. But, you know, we talk about it all the time. Like we got to get a relationship with the guy. We got to start there, right? And that's where probably where most high school kids really, really, really lack, right, is in the foot. So we would warm up. Well, I had a girl that was just doing some straight leg skips, with no shoes on and she rolls her ankle and has a hairline fracture. Mom mm -hmm. came after me a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, man, it happens. Like, what am I supposed to do? But then again, I had to respect that. And I was like, you know what? I can't make it mandatory anymore to warm up without your shoes on. I say, Hey, I recommend it. I've been telling you guys, like, you know, that's where most of our energy leaks happen. This is where we're trying to make sure we stay strong. We got to, but if you don't feel comfortable, it's fine. 
we'll warm up with shoes on. I'll let you guys have the choice. So I give them ownership of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's one example. Another example, I had a girl who's a really talented athlete, track athlete. Um, and she had, a, she, she got injured at practice, right? Just a tweak, right? And the language she used with me in the workout, she's, she's in middle school. And she said, coach, I went to the doctor because here's the deal. In my training program, I have to hold a standard. And if I'm not just going to let kids come up and tell me, oh, I can't work out today. I'm hurt. Like, no, we got to dig deeper. Like, I'm trying to help you here. Let's talk about it. So I got to have communication from a parent, doctor's note, you know, some type of something that tells me something's wrong. And I try to dig as deep as possible. So I go through my steps, right? Go through my protocol. Oh, you say you're hurt. Okay. What happened? It's like, well, I hurt myself sprinting, went to my doctor, so a pediatrician, and the doctor told me that I tore my quad. And I went, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I'm like, tore your quad. He said, yes. She said, yes, sir. I was like, I said, wow, that's, that sounds horrible. Like, I hate that for you. Like, I'm surprised you're walking. Yeah. She looked at me kind of funny, like, like that. And I said, okay, so this is what we do. Let's approach every movement that we have. As long, like, we're going to use pain as our measurement. If you have no pain, we're going to roll with it. We're going to train the other side, right? We're always going to train the other side that's not hurt. But if you have pain, we stop, right? It's also going to help me understand what we can do, right? And we're also going to drop our intensity um, and do it. So we went about our business and I got an email the next day, you know, from my principal and her parent saying that I claimed that her diagnosis from her doctor wasn't right, that, uh, that I was trying to be a doctor, trying to tell her that she was wrong. Oh, and it wasn't the, the kid's fault because the word tour and I was like tour. She just had a quad strain, man. She just said yeah. the wrong word. It's not her fault. Like she didn't mm-hmm. mean to. So that's where I'm like, the communication aspect with parents, I needed to attack. My principal is such a great leader. He came to me immediately and said, you need to call her, that mom, introduce yourself, talk about the issue and see what happens from there. If she's still upset, you know, she's emotional, we'll, we'll have a face-to-face meeting and we're going to, we're going to attack this thing head on because it's just a communicative issue, you know? So we had to attack that. So that's kind of where I've been. And I'm, I'm in the process of trying to, create um, what one of my, one of the guys we have in our association with high school strength coaches, um, his name's Garrett Keith. He does a newsletter every week and sends out to his parents to kind of give them a highlight of what we do every week. And it kind of opens up that communication line. I want to like that. start developing that because he also said like, also open that up to highlight a piece of equipment that's needed or we use. And it also helps. Like so he said one day he did that. He wasn't asking for anything, but a parent just came up and, and, and wrote him a $25,000 check and said, you guys need this. I'm here to fill a need. And he's like, whoa, like did not realize. He said one, one dad came up and said, man, I love the fact that you guys use safety squat bars. How many racks you got? You need eight. Where you get it from? Elite FTS. Okay. Writes a check. They're here in two weeks. Unreal, man. That is so and cool. Mostly because of the relationship he has with his parent. Now he's been there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Right, at another private school so I'm like man that's the kind of relationship I want to have not to get free stuff but to know that my parents are behind what we're doing. Mm-hmm. you know and we're going to have hiccups here and there kids are going to lie they're kids kids are not going to perform very well they're not going to want to work and we're going to probably push them and make them work and they're not going to be real happy but that's okay you know if every kid did their job right I wouldn't have a job because they wouldn't need me mm-hmm. you know so when it comes to parents man it's just I think attacking issues head on and being transparent, you will earn a lot of respect instead of trying to dance around it. Yeah. And you're clearly an effective communicator and that's step one to all of this stuff. So that's awesome, man. And I have a question to follow that up in terms of like the kids themselves. Uh, What do you think that, you know, coming in day one uh, or even if you're struggling with a certain relationship with a kid, like, what do you think some mistakes that young strength coaches make or just strength coaches in general in trying to like genuinely out of good intentions, trying to connect with these kids? Uh, what are some things that you have found that work? What are some things you have found that don't work in terms of like the actual kids themselves? Cause there are some kids that you're just going to click with and you're like, yeah, we're buddies. Let's go. Like, I know that you're going to be in my corner. Other ones you're like, okay, you're a little bit more hesitant or you just simply don't like what I'm doing here. So uh, what are some examples of, you know, um, 
instances with kids that aren't bought into your program? What are some mistakes you've made? Uh, what are some good things that you have done to help mend those relationships? And kind of like, what, would, what advice would you give to other coaches in terms of like coming in and even like taking over a program or like starting their own thing with high school kids and how you can best develop those relationships? Because obviously it's a patience game. Um, that's obviously number one, but what are some like true tangible skills and communication skills we can use to connect with these kids? You know, I would say that, like you said, one, you better be patient. There's mm -hmm. no magic pill. Um, and, and really be observing of what their body language is telling you. Because mm. kids are scared to get in trouble. They're scared to say the wrong thing. Um, they are making, I'm telling you, these kids, sometimes, some of these kids that when that bell rings and they leave this building, they turn into a different person. When they're at school, you know, they're playing the game, right? I got to be a good boy. I got to be a good girl. So half the time they're not being honest. They're not being transparent. So you got to see through that. You got you to create discernment. The only way to do that is to watch their body language. Try to listen to what they're saying to their peers, not to you, yeah. right? And just let that soak in. And honestly, the decision should come from there, right? Mm -hmm. Watch, pay attention. Get to know their background if possible. Talk to them about something outside of the weight room. Hey, how's class going? What's your hobbies? What do you like? What kind of music do you like to listen to? Pick up on things they like, feed that. Like, for example, music is huge. huge. Right? I try to play the music that they like, not necessarily the ones that I like. And, and that, that gets them going and builds a little bit of trust. Hold on one second real quick. I've got sure. some issue. Yeah, I'm, I'm having an uh, interview real quick. Which I'm singing when you can. Yeah. So as you finish with that, I'll be in the cafeteria. Got it. No worries. Um, but, um, but anyway, so that, that helps a lot with the – it helps a lot with buy-in, you know, and it just takes time. And, you know, I've – I came from the college level, man. I came in here and I thought I'm going to hold a standard. And I screamed at kids and, and, and told them that they're not working hard and they're not going to reach their goals. Man, that was just a, the wrong way to go about it. I'm, because most kids are so hesitant, they don't really – they may have trust issues anyway because of things that are going on at home. Yeah, they might not ever trust me. Mm -hmm. You know, like my head football coach who's got a lot of wisdom says, man, you just got to move the needle a little bit every day and just stay at it. I think persistence is the biggest key. Like, like I'm going to – like, you get to see me every day. That's the difference between, like, college and high school. It's like I could see these kids every single day from August – I mean, literally year-round. They, they train with me in the summer, like, it, it never goes away. It's not like in college where everybody's got the same goal. Everybody's motivated. Everybody wants to win. People are on scholarship. Like it's easy to train those, those guys, those girls. They're already motivated. There's not a whole lot left. Like you just do your, like here, you got to give them a reason to want to do it because they have to be here. How do you make yeah. it enjoyable? How do you talk them into what we're doing here is going to be beneficial for their life? So something small that I try to do, that I've learned from other coaches, I can't remember, I mean, I've heard multiple people say this, but is try to say first names as often as possible. It means Ooh, something, like right? Language is huge. I mean, we hear it from the two people I've heard stress language to me the most is Brett Bartholomew and Angelo James. Awesome. Um, Angelo is uh, an ideas training system guy. I'm, I'm one of his clients, learned from him. Everybody knows Brett with conscious coaching, but is if I can say, it's not just their name, if I can say their first name or interact with every kid in a session, so I've, I've only got 36 kids max in my weight room that I allow at the time because of just the way I like flow um, and the size of our school. I can do that, right? If I can get to know their name, say their first name, or even just give them a fist bump here and there, that builds so much. For, for example, I've got a kid um, that's here in my class that's – he's a little different, right? He's an eighth grader. Um, he, he, he's, not, he's not quite all together. You know, he's got some Asperger-type syndrome uh, – symptoms and stuff and and the other day he pulled me aside he's one of the smartest kids I've met and it really hit me in the gut he said coach like you know I think Sam really needs to be acknowledged I was like you talking about Sam over there he goes yeah man like you've already given me two fist bumps but you haven't said anything to Sam and I feel like he feels like he's not doing something right and I was like that's so absurd how like He's, he's paying attention to his friend like and I'm like dude I need to be better I need to be better I'm like screw sets and reps like I gotta be better like this, how I'm going to win these kids over. So it's really been a shift from, you know, thinking about physical qualities and winning them over. Cause if I win them over and they believe me then, and only then will whatever program I'm putting together be effective anyway.
Yeah. So why would I put all my effort into that, you know, trying to learn a new triphasic method? You know, like it doesn't really matter. Not here, not at this level. I'm not training elite athletes, trying to find that small 1% edge. Like I'm really trying to help these kids be better people. So that's what I've been focusing on really for the past year and, and really reaching out to other coaches to help me uh, develop that side of being a better communicator because that's where it starts. That's what this is about. You know, we're coaches, we're teachers, but if we can't communicate, I don't care how smart you are writing a program down on a piece of paper, that doesn't do anything. It doesn't affect behavior. It doesn't create change. It doesn't create impact. What you do out there on the floor and how you interact with people is what's going to be game changers. So. Absolutely. I love how you said that. That was very, very well said. Cause I think these kids are smarter than some people give them credit for. Like kids are smart, man. They really are. They're very perceptive. They're aware of what's going on. And I think if we treat them and we patronize them, like they're just high school kids, I think that's not the right way to go necessarily because these kids know what's going on. Like the cool thing about our age is that we're old enough to where we're kind of an authority figure in a sense of like a teacher would be, but we're also young enough to where we can relate to what they were going through at that point of their lives. Like I remember when I was in high school, I remember what that was like. I remember like, you know, girls, I remember like the social pressure. I remember like social circles and how hard that was. And like, you see that stuff. If, if you kind of like uh, sit back and watch it happen, you can see like the social circle thing happen. But a weight room is such a beautiful tool to help bring people together. And I think really like, I forget what coach coined it. It's like weight training is such a good metaphor for life. And I think that's so true because if you think about it, these kids, they're not going to, like so many of them, they're not going to go and be D1 athletes. They're not going to go and make a, a living off of this stuff. Like what is ultimately our impact as strength and conditioning coaches? Like what is the long-term impact we're going to have? We're going to teach these kids life skills. We're going to teach them how to be better people. That's the ultimate takeaway. And I think when I changed my mindset to that, it was such a profound difference because I was so much less concerned with everything being perfect and like, oh man, we just got this session canceled. It's like, okay, hang on. Like, what am I here for? It's to help these kids just literally become better people. And you touched on that. And I think that is so amazing because I think if we think of things in those terms, we understand the long-term impact we have on these people. So yeah, Cody, that's awesome, man. Very well said. Um, so just transitioning a little bit here, um, in terms of programming itself, meat and potatoes, let's kind of address the same lens of like, what are some things that we tend to um, think a little too much about with programming with these high school athletes? And also like, what are some things that you feel that deserve more consideration when it comes to programming? Because I know like you're obviously very well aware that sessions get canceled in season all the time. Um, it's never perfect. We can create this perfect annual plan, but at the end of the day, it is never going to go the way that we think it is. So how do you deal with that? And what are some programming considerations that you feel that should be taken into consideration more and others perhaps less? You know, I, I really believe in playing the long game. Um, I was introduced by a colleague of mine, Angelo, of the book by Simon Sink called The Infinite Game. I would read that book. It's unbelievable. But anyway, I kind of, we kind of take that, that whole philosophy of play the long game into what we do as far as programming wise. Like too many people are rushing to arrive at where, like, why are you rushing to arrive? Cause arrive where in the way <laughs> So at a 500 pound back squat. Okay. For what you power lifting, you're going to get a scholarship. It's going to make you like, is it going to win ball game? No. Like, so where are we trying to arrive? That derives from me, coaches' egos wanting to claim that our team is stronger than yours. It helps us win games that create this correlation that doesn't exist. Um, and not saying that being strong is bad. Like, it's not. But when it's stressed too much to try to arrive somewhere, that's when you cut corners. That's when half the time I feel like high school coaches that are – especially football, that are running weight rooms, they want to help – their kids to display their strength so bad, but they refuse to learn how to develop it. Because when you training strength is way different than just displaying it. You know, everybody wants to one rep max. Everybody wants to see their number. That's all having to go down to the kids and coaches insecurity because they find identity in that number. If they're good at it, right? Kids are going to be, be a magnet to what and draw towards things that they're good at. 
And if they're good at squatting, they're going to want to squat. If they're not good at cleaning, they'll be like, oh, gosh, I'm doing mm-hmm. Right? So programming-wise, a little more meat and potatoes as far as the technical side. Man, I just wish that all high school coaches especially would just get away from this whole sport-specific idea um, mm-hmm. of that anything in the weight room needs to needs to be anything specific or needs to be groundbreaking. You know, like just like you teach fundamentals at practice in sport, the weight room is fundamental as well, right? There's fundamental movements you've got to learn. Like people see like these sports skills that you do, like basketball, dribbling, tackling, base running, but they don't see down here in the ocean underneath the iceberg where movement fundamentals have to be developed to be good at this. And some kids are just naturally good at those sports skills, you know, and they kind of already better at some of those fundamental movements, but some of the kids are really explosive and their fundamental movements aren't there and that's going to lead to injury. They don't understand that. So we're trying to be really fundamental with our, our movement patterns. And here at Madison Academy, because a lot of things that dictate programming, there's a lot of things you got to consider. Right. And, and one of the things I learned from my buddy Angelo that I, that I talked about, I've written an article about is some precursors you got to go over, like what's your schedule? What's your population? What's your manpower? How many people do you have inside your room to help you coach? You know, how much time do you have? What type of equipment do you have? What's the spacing looking like in your weight room? All those things are going to dictate programming. You don't have some of those things. Everything's going to change. So that's why it's not fair whenever you try to transplant one program and say, hey, coach, can I get your program? Like, it's that, that doesn't make sense. Like, it's not for your specific kids' population. Like, it's so specific but the principle of it all is to be able for us to develop those fundamental movement patterns. So here we train twice a week. It's an alternating block schedule. You go to every classes every other day. Um, so we train twice a week year round on a developmental model. There's no such thing as in season and off season with me. We train from beginning to year trying to progress as we go. Um, and on day one, we hit two total body workouts. So for example, as far as categories go, our primary Lifts are going to be the clean and the variations, the trap bar deadlift, the bench press, um, the front squat, and the chin-up. Those are always going to be in it. Um, we progress the back squat after my kids have spent basically a full year doing front squat for the most part. I've got some outliers, right? i got some kids, but I found last year, majority of the kids that spent, that got 500 working set front, uh, front squat reps, when they transitioned to back squat, it was pretty seamless. So that's kind of my, where I'm at right now. It's not a perfect number. It's just a ballpark. But I know that if you master the front squat, back squat's easy. So back squat's there, but it's not where we start. So that's there, spread out between two days. Clean and front squat are on day one. Deadlift, chin-ups, and bench press are on day two. And then we just fill everything in. So we're always going to – we're going to press vertically. We're going to pull horizontally. We're going to push horizontally. Um, we're going to do some things to move our scaps. We're going to do some things to work on our pelvic position. Um, we're going to do some things to work on some explosiveness, some jumping, some landing, some rotating. Um, just trying to hit everything you can think of, you know, to yeah, keep man. our healthy. And, and we rotate all of our auxiliary lifts in and out. Um, as far as sets and reps go, I could probably talk a whole hour on that. I'm a big, I'm serious. Like I'm a big believer in like, people say like, you know, numbers are everything. And then you got the whole other, other people that are like, Technique over numbers, use RPE, training intensity is not, no, that's, that's stupid. Why not use both? Um, you need to be able to assess because like once we get the movement down, because that's what we do as eighth and ninth graders, get the movement down. But once the movement's safe, you're not going to grow if you don't have overload. You have to load it up. We got to go, you know, create training maxes. We train. Make sure we're going through full ranges of motion. If load ever dictates and gets us out of our technique, we take the load down, right? So load dictates uh, – technique is what's dictating the load, not the other way around. And then I have charts and, and all these things that I've created to be able to train certain qualities. It, it pretty much developed out of Prilipin's chart, but I've even went way deeper with it. Um, I've even created my own section for Olympic lifting because I think it's a little bit different at, at my level. This is for my kids, right? So – might not be exactly the same if I was training the Dallas Cowboys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but anyway, we I, I set these sets and reps. I, I evaluated every week to create new training maxes based on performance. So every week, based on their performance and what they project, based off the info that I get that I put into a formula, 
we train off that. And you know, a training max is way different than a one rep max, right? Training max is just what we're able to train off of. Like, for example, I'm looking at a chart right now, like, like we ought to be able to do 80% uh, on a squat. We ought to be able to hit three to five reps easy, right? If you're on a really good day, you're going to hit seven or eight if you absolutely exhaust yourself, right? Absolutely exhaust yourself. So if, for example, if they do 80% for five reps and they leave two in the tank, we're in a good spot, right? But if if we're doing if – I, if I ask to do five reps on 80%, they can only do two, right? That's going to adjust relatively where they need to go. And then I need to ask questions, right? Like, hey, you stressed out. Hey, did you sleep last night? Hey, where's your nutrition? Did you just have a bad day? Are you tweaked to something hurt? Are you not telling me something? So all those things give me information to go assess behavior of what's going on. And we just do that week to week. And guys, for those of you that don't know, like progress is not linear. You're not going from 200 max to 205 to 210 to 215. No, it's going to go up and down based on stresses of life. But you want to hope over time that that trend is going to be going upward. Nice. As far as training max is going. And that's what I do is I just take our main KPIs and I assess training maxes off performance based off that formula over the 18 weeks that we have in a semester. And then off of that, I train, I differentiate training. So I have three levels. I have a novice level, I have an intermediate level, and I have an advanced level. And it's very basic. My, my novice level is anybody who's new or a ninth grader. Because eighth graders have their own program. That's called my onboarding program. Mm. They train technique at a relative intensity of a seven or below. When I say relative intensity, I have a one through 10 scale instead of a percentage scale. I don't want to go too far deep into that. But so basically that means to me, the heaviest you're going to go for a single as a seven out of 10 is 85% of your one red max. We're never going to go higher than that because I think that technique breakdown may happen there from what I've seen, but it's mostly just get creating a training capacity and learning our technique and learning our language as a novice. You spend a year in that program. If you're a transfer in, because we do get quite a bit of transfers, you got to spend at least one four-week cycle in it before you move on. When you go into the intermediate, it's all about relative strengths. Um, I'm still trying to develop a, a body weight ratio per, like on a sliding scale from uh, weight classes of what a good uh, relative strength number is for our KPIs. I'm still collecting that data and I really don't know yet, to be honest. Like I don't have like, here's my standards. Here's my intermediate advanced, blah, blah. It's more just kind of off my eye right now because I'm still collecting data to see. Because to me, like if you say everybody needs to be able to squat two times their body weight, like, okay, well, my 130 pound kid probably can back squat 260 at some point, but my 300 pound left tackle, I'm never putting 600 pounds on their back. Mm -hmm. So it's different, you know, so it needs to slide somehow at what point, I don't know, still working on that. Um, but mostly relative strength in the intermediate level. Some of my advanced athletes that are real twitchy, you know, um, go into my advanced level that we get to a point where like strong is strong enough, air quotes. And then we also work on more of a concurrent all type of qualities training program where we're still doing some more like rate of force development, you know, maybe a little bit of accommodating resistance. But most of the kids in my advanced level are a little more, they care about training. You know, they love it. Um, they're a little more locked in. They're, I'm not scared for them to get hurt. You know, they do things right so they can handle a little more advanced methods. But it's really not that much advanced. If you look at it across the board in our weight room, we'll have anywhere from a ninth to a 12th grader training non-athlete to a Division One signee. Everyone's doing the same movement pattern, different level of complexity, different sets of time under tension, different set rep scheme. Right, I may have my guys down, my ninth graders doing a block power clean, learning the technique on a five-by-five. Five. I maybe have my guys, my advanced guys down here on the other side of the weight room doing a a three-by, uh, a two-by-two-by-two two cluster. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're all cleaning, just a matter of where in the progression, both movement complexity-wise, time under tension-wise, volume and intensity-wise. Mm -hmm. That's all I do So I manipulate that. And back to what I said earlier as far as in-season and off-season, I don't, I don't change programs because I feel like in high school you need so much development and we're only training twice a week. So they're already going to be plenty of resilient. So I've created a stoplight system where I have a red light, yellow light ring and I have it all over my weight room and I make it super simple. The closer you get to competition, the more we're going to drop our volume because that's the number one thing that goes towards soreness is volume and time and attention. So I just eliminate that. I don't eliminate intensity because our kids need to be strong. 
kids don't want to need to be scared of that. So we drop volume. For example, if we're a day before a game, that's a yellow light. So that's one day. So 24 hours away from competition. When we train, you're going to cut all your reps in half. So if you have six reps, you're going to do three. If you have an odd number, like five, you cut that in half. That's two and a half round up still doing three. Right. Um, if we're on game day and that's a red light, we cut all our reps in half, but we also skip our last set. So it's going to cut some more volume and cut a little bit of an intensity. And I've really got our guys to bought in to train on game day. Cause if we only train twice a week over a semester. I'm going to get 18 to 22 training sessions in a whole semester. If I lose one training session because of a game day, that's 5% of the training. We can't do it. We can't do it. Right. And that's why I was like, you know, so, so hyped up. I mean, I try to, promote our guys. I had one of our starting pitchers who was deadlift and I put it on Twitter, you know, like, Hey, it's game day. Nope. We train. We got like over a hundred thousand views and showed the kids and they're like, Oh, you know, like they love that social media side because this guy's working hard on game day. He happened to go play in his game that day and hit a three run bomb. Let's go (laughs) straight fuel to help me out. And it got some social media push. So, which is really cool. So that's, that's the meat and potatoes of our program is that we, we hit every movement pattern. We train our KPIs. We track our KPIs. Um, we make sure our technique's really good. We don't want to miss a day of training. And if the closer we get to competition, we cut the volume to help our kids understand that this is only going to help you, not going to hurt you. Big minimum effective dose guy. What's the, can we do a little bit to hold on to what we have so that the next time that we can train? I'm a big believer in not burning the steak. You know, don't. You know, if you like a steak well done, I'll trust you anyway. <laughs> Amen. Like, weird. Um, but can we train just a little bit so our next training session can still be good? You know, if I obliterate our guys and our next training session sucks and then they sucked in their game, like, they're going to lose trust in me. Like, it's not going to be great. And to me, like, the people that are trying to preach, like, all oh, they need to be tough, I need to make it hard for them. You know, like, there's other ways to get that outside of program. Like, like we can make it tough by, hey, how about you be on time every day? Hey, how about you get your grades up? How about we run hard at practice? How about we be respectful? Whenever I talk, you make eye contact with me and you nod your head whenever I'm acknowledging you. That's being a man. That's what I tell every one of my guys in my weight room. When I talk, you let your mouth look me in the eye. Because guess what? When you talk, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do the same to you because I feel like you deserve that. To me, that's toughness. You know, it's showing up every day. And, and we know they're not going to give great effort every day. They're going to be a little sore because they're – they're high school athletes, man. They're playing seven on seven, AEU, travel ball. I got my side trainer on the side. My dad thinks I'm going to be the next A-Rod, so I got to get four more training sessions in this week. Like, it's the kind of stuff I'm battling. So I like, I'm a big low volume guy because if I look at the volume that they're doing everywhere else, I'm going to burn the stake. Like, no, nah, like, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to try to, I want them to perform well. You know, my philosophy is health drives performance. That's my number one rule got to be healthy in order to perform. I want them to play more and I want them to play better. I stole that from Alan Bishop at the University of Houston. Health drives performance. And then I stole play more, play better from Gary Schofield, um, who's with play now, who's a big high school strength coach, um, leader and innovator. So I kind of combine those two because I like, I like them. So that's what I tell our guys, like, we need to be healthy. We don't, need to, we don't need to burn the stake. Health drives performance. So you guys can play more and you can play better. That's all we do. And they've really bought into that. And that's why we've had so much success. That's so cool. I could just feel your passion coming through those words you say, man. That is so cool and so well said. I like that stoplight thing you do. Uh, I think coaches are going to love that because as soon as you start talking about it, I was like, whoa, that is um, not only easy to understand, but that sounds like it's extremely effective. So um, I want to talk about that for a second. Yeah, go like, ahead. I, I hired a guy. I was t- I t- I'm talking a lot about Angelo. Angelo is a great guy, but you know, he, he was a strength coach here before me and he, he has his own business now and and he kind of did that before I was here. And when we were talking and developing, because I was trying to, I'm a big Google Sheets guy, you know, I get real analytical. I know how to write code and all that cool stuff. Like, how do I, how do I implement my code to create the stoplight system into their sheet and their training card? And he's like, dude, it says it on the, on the wall. Just do it. What does it matter if it's on the sheet? That makes you feel good. It actually doesn't change anything. What they're doing. Look at the sheet. Look at the, look, look at it. What, what's today? All right, do it. It's that simple. You know, and I was like, dang, like, and I thought, I was like, well, the only answer to that is if I want to keep my kids from being sore, I know for a fact that too much volume and time under tension is going to create more soreness in the, tra- in the weight room. How do I cut that? Cut their reps in half? Like, if we're doing it, if we are in an eccentric block, I just tell them, cut the tempo, go fast. Yep. You know, 
no tempo. Like if we are, if we have an exercise that day that is involving a lot of time under tension and we have a game that day, I just tell them to not do it. You know, mm-hmm. don't do the tempo. Don't do the four seconds down. Let's take away some of that. Go fast in your squat. Go fast in your bench, whatever we're doing. So that takes away an opportunity for soreness so they can perform better that day. You know, I try to make it simple because if it's simple, we can execute it. If we can execute it, we can be consistent. That's the key. You know, if I try to be too complicated, look pretty on paper, I go try to execute it. I'm going to be really, really frustrated with what we're doing. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want that. Okay. What does the general structure of your training programs look like? Uh, I'm assuming you have like some sort of blocks. Like how do you go about pairing exercises, um, perhaps like correctives in there, ab work? Like what does your program generally look like from start to finish? All right. So I have 85 minutes in a block Okay. as far as training session goes. 10 minutes to dress in, 10 minutes to dress out leaves me 65 minutes to train. Okay. So we come in, we weigh in, we do a quick dynamic warm-up without our shoes that I've mentioned earlier. Okay, and I make it quick. I don't change my dynamic warm-up because I don't want to spend time teaching new things. My dynamic warm-up's made of I just make sure I hit every plane of movement. Hit sagittal, hit transverse, hit frontal, we're good. Okay. Warm up the lower tissues, right? We're good with that. Try to hit the lower limb, the calf, um, the tibialis, the foot, you know, that's where I really want to get going because that's where it starts. That takes about three minutes. They do some type of dynamic movement down my training lane in between the racks, and they go over on the turf and do some type of faster, low-level plyometric, so like a pogo or a small skip or a one-legged hop to help get that ankle. Just We do that every day, every single day, outside of our shoes, if they want to, you know, and go through that. That takes about three minutes. Get our shoes on. We'll do some type of quick speed technique or some plyos to get us going. And then we'll do two 10-yard sprints, and that's it. I time it. I yell out their time. They write it down on their card. I collect it over time. I think sprinting is the best thing we can do to prime our nervous system to train. And I also believe that creating a timing effect, and I got it from Tony Holler, um, that timing creates intent. And if we're running really hard, there's nothing better that develop the nervous system than to sprint. But then again – Sprinting's great, but also burning the stake. If you do too much of it with not enough recovery, you're going to create issues. So we do two sprints, one at a time, 30 kids. The rest is built in. I tell them to walk back. 10 yards is not very long for us to create hamstring issues. Um, and also the kids get after it. I call out a time. They're like, oh, you're slow. Oh, oh, you're <laughs> getting after it. That takes about four or five more minutes. Then we go into what I call lift prep. We do three exercises every day. We do a knees over toe split squat. We do a calf raise, single leg calf raise nice and slow for range of motion. And then we do a toe raise where you're actually leaning against the wall doing the opposite of a calf raise where we're bringing our toes towards our shin, training the tibialis. So our kids get shin splints. Like, like everybody's like, well, if you're going to train the bicep, you better train the tricep. Well, if you're going to train the calf and sprint, you better train the tibialis. Now, it's a very big time ignored part of the lower leg. So we do one set of, of 15 to 20 reps of that. Every day before we lift, one set, boom, boom, five minutes of lift prep. During that time, they go to their card, they answer three questions. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Um, did you eat breakfast? And how stressed are you on, on a scale of one to five? This is, physical, five this is a physical card they write on? Circle, circle. boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have them write anything, circle, circle, circle. Mm-hmm. And then we start training. I, my language as far as blocking things off are letters, right? Some people use numbers, some people use letters. I call it a tier. Some people call it a block. I'm not referring to Joe Ken's tier system. I'm just calling it a tier. Um, so tier A, B, C, D, and E. We have five tiers in my training block. Okay, so we have a primary, and then which is our, our A, B, and C are what's tracked. Our D and E are our auxiliaries. Does that make sense? So D and E, I don't prescribe intensity. Um, as far as load goes, I give them a choice. Um, it's mostly more of our hypertrophy work and things that we get in as far as positional stuff like that. A lot of our row work and stuff is in there. A lot of our single leg works in there too. That's not strength, right? So my day one template goes like this. It's all movement categories. Um, tier A is going to be a clean variation. It's going to be supersetted with some type of ankle mobility. Um, also I like to say some type of positioning work. Like I like to get up on a rack and, and work on, pushing my knees over my toes because I'm a big believer in a vertical style squat. Yep. So that's it's also going to prep us for tier B, which we go to next, which is our squat. 
whether it be front squat, back squat, goblet squat, depending on wherever the kid's at. We superset that with some type of jump or land. We're going to get a little bit of potentiation there. I'm a big vertical squatter, so we're going to vertical jump on the jump mat to create some more intent. We record that. Um, we even try to back squat as vertical as we can because I have squat wedges. Um, I use a squat wedge to eliminate some of that ankle mobility issues to help with the back because high school kids have so many pars fractures from very heavy torque rotation and not enough stability and very lacking pelvic control. So I'm like, you know what? Screw that. We're just going to stay vertical as much as possible. I'm not a big fan of the powerlifting style squat for high school kids. So um, that's what we do in tier B. If, if we're not ready to jump yet, a lot of my younger kids are dropping off boxes and landing. They, pro they propel later. Okay. And then if they're ready to propel, we'll get on the mat and jump. Um, then we go into C, we go into our hinge pattern. That's our hip dominant. That's mostly RDL all year. Um, well, we always superset that with something single leg as far as a skater squat, a lateral lunge, pistol squat, um, a TKE, something to do with, with some type of rehabilitative type work that's non-coaching intensive. Mm -hmm. Like guys, don't program two things back to back that's coaching intensive with high school kids or anybody really. It's just not a good idea. Um, Very well said. Our, we'll go into our D and E. You've got uh, D for that day on day one is going to be our vertical press. And we rotate both bilateral and unilateral. Okay, whether we're doing Z press, barbell overhead press, landmine press, dumbbell overhead press, half kneeling, kneeling, seated. We just rotate those through. We need to hit all of them. Everybody does them. So we just rotate those through throughout the year. Superset with some type of scapular work, whether it be retraction, band pull apart, something like that. Um, and then we, at the end, we do a horizontal row, whether it be a TRX row, dumbbell row. So we've got a vertical press and a horizontal row at the end there. Moving to day two. Tier A is going to be some type of deadlift variation. I'm a big, big believer in the trap bar for our high school kids. It's just safer. Um, and, and we can load it really heavy. That's probably because our kids aren't going to get our squat technique down really well in the beginning. Um, so we got to get strong somehow. And trap bar is a great way to do it because the technique's really easy to learn. So we do that. We don't superset anything with the trap bar because it's probably going to be really intense because we're, we're pushing strength all year. So we worry about changing weight, coach each other up, rest in between. Then we go to our tier B. We hit our vertical pull. Um, we hit chin-ups. I'm a big believer in loaded chins. I treat chin-ups as a strength movement. Like, people that program sets of 10 on chin-ups, I don't know how you do it because I guess you're, like, to me, like, how you do things in a chin-up really, really matters, right? Because if you're doing 10 reps, you're probably doing partial range, and it's probably not that good. No, I'm a big believer in what I learned from Alan Bishop is we're going dead hang chin-up from open elbow joint, closing the bicep. I'm not a big believer in chin over the bar because everybody's anatomy is a little different. Mm -hmm. I completely open the elbow joint, completely close the elbow joint. That's, that's what it is, tempo down. We do mostly sets of uh, threes and fives throughout the most of the year. When we get down, I'll let the kids even hit a heavy single. I had a kid, 130-pound tr uh, track and field sprinter um, for us. You still there, Connor? Yeah. Okay, I thought you froze for a second. <laughs> I had a kid uh, – we had a kid said, coach, I think I got a hundred in me today. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh yeah. He's like, all right. So he's a 130 pound sprinter, put a hundred pounds of chains on him, did three reps. Perfect. Killing it. So we hit that, um, with our chin ups, we hit some type of more scapular, some type of face pull, something with our shoulders that's going to help us stay healthy. Um, sometimes we'll even just add another horizontal row. So a banded row or even another TRX row right there make sure logistics are good. Moving to tier C, so our third of the day on that, we're going to go into our bench press. We bench press year-round. I think bench press is a skill. Like, you got to learn how to spot it first off because bench press is over your face. You're going to get hurt. Yep. So we never take bench press out. The only time we do is if some of our baseball guys don't feel comfortable with it towards game day, go to a dumbbell. Whatever, whatever feels comfortable for you, my guy. So we go through that. And then uh, D and E on day two is um, – D is going to be our – Trying to remember what it is. Oh yeah, our single leg work. So we'll do our our lesson will include our lunge, our split squat series. So I split it up: lunge, split squat. Um, a lunge is being where one foot comes off the ground. A squat is where feet are staying the same. That can be a lateral squat, lateral lunge, reverse lunge, split squat. If some of our advanced guys will be doing it loaded with a trap bar, we have open-ended trap bars or a barbell. They may do it with a heavy zercher. They may do it with a dumbbell. We rotate those in. You know. I make sure we get enough volume on that. I'm not really ready to do some of the half-field split squats that some of the guys are doing high school wide. I mean, you know, if you guys are at that point, that's great. We're not there yet. 
you know, so that's not what my template looks like. And then to finish the day, finish the week, the last thing we do on E is we do some type of knee dominant hinge exercise. We do Norics all year round. Beautiful. We, we do uh, both ways. We do a, a Nordic lean is what I like to call it. I, I created my own language because it's easy where you keep a straight line between the shoulder and the knee and the hip, go all the way down, push up, mostly what you're used to seeing, partner hamstring curls. But then we'll also do a Nordic where we'll lean out a little bit with our knees and then we'll do an RDL or what I call a good morning, where we'll actually hinge at the hips and hold that tension. That way we can get some concentrate work with it too. Working on trying to get like some, uh, some glute ham rollers and some other things where we can do some more volume work on our hamstrings. Try to stay away from doing too much hamstring volume work or hamstring strengthening work just because I haven't had any hamstring issues in the two years I've been here. I feel like I'm doing something right, so I'm just going <laughs> to stay with that. Very lucky because we sprint every day. Our coaches understand practice plans and blah, blah, blah. So that's what – and then the superset with that last uh, on tier E is going to be something posterior chain oriented, whether it be a glute bridge, you know, a hip thrust something to do with pelvic positioning, really trying to really get that posterior, get those glutes firing, fill our pelvis, fill our ribs down, um, all those things, trying to fill positions there and breathe, you know, in those positions to be able to gain some stability there. So that's my template year round for everybody. And it hasn't changed in two years. It's fit. It's holistic. We adjust in season, off season with our stoplight system we progress on four week cycles, four, four week cycles is a semester, really two nine week quarters is 18 weeks. The beginning of the week's intro, the last week is finals. We don't train 16 weeks. So that leaves the 16 weeks four four week cycles to train off of. And we go from there. We don't have a max day. We don't hit max days. We hit heavy singles. I train, I'm, I'm, uh, I track, um, training maxes throughout the year anyway. So they know if, if they PR anyway. So, and we're really big on pushing the, like, guys, I'm not worried about your number. I'm worried about learning how to train, you know, train, train, develop, train, develop, process, process, year-round. This is what we do. We don't stop. Today's another work day. It's just the whole culture thing and all of it, you know, goes in together. And so far, we're, we're doing something good because our kids are staying healthy. We're, we're winning games and kids are having fun. So. Yeah, man. It sounds like you are doing all the right things. And I like what you said. It sounds like you follow that same kind of principle of like everything should always be present within a program, just at varying intensities and volumes, depending on what you're going for. So that's really cool, man. I love how you said that. Uh, as we wrap up here, I just wanted to end on like a, a fun note. So what is the funniest single thing you've ever seen in terms of like a story in the weight room, working with a kid can be anything that's just like open ended, take it wherever you want. Oh man, dude. Okay. So I got two. Um, I had a kid take off one day in the weight room. I don't even know why I thought he was scared. Like I thought somebody was making fun of him. He come back and said, coach, I pooped my pants. I, I had to get out of there. I was like, I ain't never dealt with this before. This is wild. Um, but something else that's funny that actually happened that I wasn't part of that happened here at MA was a kid was trying to clean something he wasn't supposed to. So this is a this is known for this happened like three years ago before I got here that everybody at Madison Academy knows about. I don't, I'm not going to say his name, but we have uh, security cameras in our room and and our coach, the coach that was here at the time, had his back turned coaching right, and the kid went over to somebody else's rack trying to be a big boy, right, and he goes up to clean it and it staples him to the uh, rack. Yeah. Right? Thank goodness he was good. He's fine. It's not really the funny part. The funny part was somehow our smart kids got a hold of that security footage, put it on social media, and it got on Barstool and got over a, oh. over a million views. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh man. I right. wonder how that feels, man. Oh. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, that everybody thinks it's hilarious, but every time I talk about, like, hey, don't go to somebody else's rack and try their way, they go, oh, yeah, you're going to end up like so-and-so. So <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm just going to use that as ammo, so – it's it's only funny because it was he ended up being okay. Yeah. But still crazy how things can happen. Different story if he got hurt for sure. But yeah, man, you see that on Twitter all the time. Kids going like I saw this one recently of kids. Uh, clearly, like the coach was not present. I don't know if you retweeted it, but it was someone. Um, and this kid like goes and he's like screaming. All of his friends are screaming. And then he goes and like he pulls it up to his knees, puts it back down, and then he goes and then he like 
cleans and gets stapled to the floor. And you just knew immediately this was never going to work, but you see that stuff all the time. But yeah, man, a million views. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sure that guy learned his lesson, but, uh, thank you, Cody. I appreciate you being on man. Like I love what you have to say. And as I said earlier, it's very clear that you're an extremely passionate and knowledgeable coach and you are only going to go up from here, brother. So I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Just trying to make the world a better place. And I think every kid deserves great training. So just trying to be an example and, and push that envelope forward. So thanks, Connor. I appreciate you having me on. That was a good one. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, give Cody a follow on Twitter. He is so knowledgeable and he tweets out amazing things. His hashtag is at CLH underscore strength. Um, again, like he is a great follow and thank you guys for listening. If you're still listening, please throw me a five-star review if you enjoyed the podcast. And I look forward to talking to you guys next time.